week you live in a money pit Money pit If your basement needs a pump Or your place looks like a dump You live in a money pit Money pit Pick up the telephone Fix up your home sweet home I call an 888 money pit The Money Pit is presented by Green Machine Outdoor Power Equipment LL Flooring, the official flooring partner of the Money Pit, and Bank of America. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Here to help you improve your home. Need some tips on the care and feeding of the place you call home, the place you put your feet up every night? Well, that's what we do. We help you take care of it. We help you improve it. We help you make it more comfortable, more efficient, and this time of year, Lots of decorating. We helped you do that. And pretty soon, we'll tell you how to take it down, which for you, Leslie, (laughs) is about a three-week project, I think, because you have so many (laughs) different holiday decorations up. If we left you alone, you'd leave it up all year long, wouldn't you? I mean, you know my dream is to keep the Christmas tree up till my birthday and call it a birthday tree, but (laughs) February 28th doesn't really work for a live tree, and I refuse to go artificial. But that's my dream. Like, I really wish I could just buy another tree come, like, you know, end of January. Coming up in today's show, are you in the market for some new furniture, but you don't have a big budget to buy new? Well, if so, upcycling might be for you. We're going to help you get started in today's smart spending tip. And if you're a renter, did you know that your possessions usually are not covered by your landlord's insurance? Well, we're going to tell you the one thing that you can do to make sure you're covered in the event of a flood, fire, or other disaster. Plus, the sticking doors cause a little friction around your house. It is an annoying problem. It doesn't have to be. We're going to tell you how to make it go away once and for all. But first, what are you guys planning for the new year? I know we've got a little squeaky bit of time left before we inch into 2022. And hopefully it is a great year full of health and happiness and good fortune for everybody listening and all your friends and family. So whatever it is you are dreaming of in your home, let us help you make it that way. So give us a call anytime at 888-MONEY-PIT. Plus, if you give us a call on today's show, we're giving away a great tool from our friends at Green Machine. It's the cordless blower worth 289 bucks going out to one caller drawn at random it's a great machine i think it blows air at like 123 miles per hour so basically hurricane force blower for you that's cordless so you don't have to mess with gas or oil we're going to give one away if you'd like to win it you've got to pick up the phone and call us with a question don't just call us and say i'd like to win that great blower no, you got to have a real question. So call us with those questions at 888-MONEYPIT. We'll call you back if we're not in the studio the next time we are, and we'll toss your name in the Money Pit hard hat, and you might just win that great product from Green Machine. So let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Lori, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? We have a Chamberlain one-quarter horsepower garage door opener, and it has no remotes. We bought okay. the house as is, so we have no remotes for it. Also, it has a keypad on the outside which I'm unable to use. So my question was, if I go to Home Depot or Lowe's, would a universal remote work, or do I have to call a garage door company out to sell us a Chamberlain remote and program it? Why don't you do this? Why don't you get the model number of the Chamberlain garage door opener, which is probably printed on the back of the unit, go to the Uh Chamberlain website, and get the owner's manual for the door opener. With that owner's manual, you should be able to program the keypad. It'll tell you the right sequence to do that. 
And also, you most likely can find out from Chamberlain exactly which remote is designed to work with that unit. Now, Chamberlain's a very good company, and in fact, they have a new technology that's called MyQ. And the cool thing about the MyQ technology is you can actually uh, put this MyQ unit in your garage, and then you'll be able to open and close your garage door with your smartphone. So they're way ahead of the game on this stuff. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, too. Is this one too old to do that? Um, I think it actually works on every garage door opener that was built after 1996, so it may not be. It might be fine. can't remember if it's 96 or 94. Yeah, it, it goes back over 10 years. Good. Okay, this, is, this one's about six years old. I think that's how I would proceed. I would not just go buy something and hope it works. I would do the research, and you'll figure it out. Okay, Lori? Okay, I'll go on their webpage. Thank you for the advice. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. All right, now we've got Mike in Iowa on the line who needs some help insulating a garage. Tell us about it. Hi, uh, I have a three-and-a-half or four, basically a four-car garage underneath a house. It's a ranch. The trusses, the floor, it has trusses in it, and uh, it's cold in there. It gets cold here in Iowa, and it stays, I don't know, 35, 45 degrees during the winter, even in the coldest day. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it has batting insulation in it, but it's still cold, and, you know, our bedroom is above it. So I was thinking about putting some insulation in it, either in the blowing some, drilling the holes and blowing it in, or just doing it around the outside, the outer walls. Or am I just wasting my time trying to do any better? All right, so the garage ceiling, the walls between the garage and the house should already be insulated. So what you're asking is can you add additional insulation to the exterior garage walls? Is that correct? Because that would be theoretically the only part of this garage that was not insulated. Correct. Well, the outer walls are concrete. So it's basically the ceiling I'm after because the cold air goes up. Uh, the rooms above the garage. So do you have any, Do you the way the ceiling is configured, it's drywall right now? Correct. So there may not be any additional in, room above that to add additional insulation. Like you mentioned blown in, if that ceiling was in, was built correctly, there's already insulation there. So you may not be able to add more to that. This might be a situation where you need to improve the heat more than add to the ceiling insulation because short of building it downward so that you have more depth, I don't see how you're going to add additional insulation if it's already insulated. Well, there's batting up there. I didn't know if it would uh, do any good to have them blow it in and pack it as tight as they can get it with uh, you know that blowing insulation. No, because insulation doesn't work on being packed as tight as possible. Insulation works on the principle of trapped air. And so if you overpack the insulation, it becomes less effective, not more effective. Right. All right, well, that tells me I would have wasted my money if I had somebody come out and blow it in. I know. It might not be the answer you want, but at least we didn't have you spending money on something that wasn't going to work, Mike. I hope that does help. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring, we get socked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. 
and they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IAPMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T, MONEYPIT. Pick up the phone and give us a call. We'll give you some confidence to get those projects done. But we're also giving away a great prize this hour to get a lot of projects done around the yard. We've got up for grabs the Green Machine 655 CFM Cordless Axial Blower. Zero gas, totally friendly to use for Mother Earth, battery operated, lots of power, long running time, plus 123 mile per hour winds coming out of this bad boy. It is a fantastic prize. It's worth $289, but it's going out to one lucky money pitter coming up. Give us a call with your questions or post them to moneypit.com. All right, now we've got Cheryl in Texas on the line who's looking to redo a bathroom and make it more modern with just a shower. How can we help you? Well, um, I am the mother of four sons, and as they get bigger, they no longer like to get in the bathtub. And <laughs> right. okay. we find that they are always in my room, in my shower. We're wanting to um, take out the tub that's in their bathroom and turn it into a shower. My issue is I don't have a lot of space. Um, it's a Hollywood bath. And then the tub and toilet are in a separate little room that you can close off. Mm-hmm. And the door facing um, of that little room sits right next to the tub itself. So my question is, is when I pull that tub out, the plan was to put a, you know, a shower pan down and, and tile the area and then put a, a glass door or sliding door, door on there. 
um, will that be a wide enough space if it's only the width of a standard tub? Cheryl, I think you definitely can find a shower pan that can fit the width of that tub, sort of elbow to elbow if you're standing in it. I mean, think about it. If you're in the tub, you're taking a shower, right? you got room on, on the, to the right and to the left of you. So we want a shower pan that essentially is the same size. Now, when it comes to residential prefabricated shower pans, they start at around 24 by 24, so that's two foot square. You know, that would be probably, you know, the smallest that you would need, but you might be able to go up even bigger. But a little trick of the trade, if you were to find, for example, that for whatever reason, the way this room is configured, a 24 by 24 would not work, then you should shop for a smaller shower pan, which you will find sold for RVs, recreational vehicles, because they have tiny showers in them, right? And there's a whole host of RV shower pans that are smaller than 24 by 24. I don't think you're going to need it. I think you'll be fine starting there, maybe even going up. But the size of the shower pan is what you want to figure out first. Then you can basically build around that. Okay? Does that make sense? Sure. Sure. That's what I want to do. Okay. All right, Cheryl. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, are you in the market for some brand new furniture for the new year, but you're thinking, hey, I really don't have the budget to go ahead and buy new? Well, if so, upcycling might be for you. We've got some ideas on how you can get started in today's smart spending tip presented by the Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card. Yeah, first, let's start with some basics. Now, upcycling is essentially a term that's the opposite of downcycling, which happens to be when you just throw something out. So in between upcycling and downcycling is recycling, which puts waste back into the environment, but in a much more responsible way. Yeah, and we love upcycling because it provides an opportunity to find useful furniture and other household items and then add a little creativity and a tiny budget for supplies. And you now have items that have a totally second life in your home or your apartment. All right. So when you're shopping for a piece to upcycle, here's a few things that you've got to keep in mind. First of all, you want to make sure that the piece you're looking at has good bones. It's structurally sound. It's not going to need a lot of major repairs to be able to use. I mean, a cosmetic update like cleaning, painting, those are easy DIY projects. But if it needs a bigger repair, it just might not be worth it. Now, you can avoid upholstery, you can avoid bedding, because there's really no telling where that upholstered furniture, like the couch or bedding, easy chair, big cushions, you know, where have they been and what might be living inside? Things like bed bugs. I mean, I'm always cautious (laughs) about sort of picking something up from the street that's upholstered if I like it or the frame seems good unless it's a neighbor that I know or something. I mean, same thing with secondhand stores, unless I'm totally going to take things apart and recover it. But you can, say if you see a dining chair that just has an upholstered seat or something like that, that's really easy to remove and completely replace, that's totally a great project to upcycle. Otherwise, I would say it's just not worth it. Yeah, upcycling is definitely a fun and really meaningful way to take an item that's on its way to the trash heap, and just with a little bit of sweat of equity, you can totally make it your own. And that's today's Smart Spending Tip, presented by the Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Heading out to Massachusetts, we've got Bob on the line who needs some help updating his heating system. What's going on besides being chilly, I'm assuming? Would it be cheaper at all to run natural gas versus... Number two, fuel oil. I want your professional opinion. So, Bob, I think that um, switching from oil to gas is a smart thing to do. Uh, oil prices certainly have continued to go up. I think gas is more potentially more efficient, and especially since you're going to be replacing your boilers. The new boilers say that run on gas 
are really, really efficient. In fact, they're so efficient, there's a lot of rebates out there that are available. So I would not have any hesitation about making that switch to gas. If you don't have a gas line to your home yet, generally when you are installing a heating system or a large appliance like that, at least in our part of the country, the gas companies here will run the line into your house, set the meter up at no cost because you're going to become a customer of theirs. So I think that you would be well served by putting in natural gas. And you'll find also that a lot of the boilers today are what's called condensing boilers, which are the most efficient. In fact, I have a condensing boiler in my house and it's so efficient. I no longer need a metal vent pipe, my all of the exhaust gas from my system goes out of a plastic pipe. It doesn't even have to go up the chimney. It goes out the side of the house so that I never have to deal with the issue of uh, cleaning anything anymore once it's done this way. So I think uh, a condensing boiler, gas-fired boiler would be a good choice. Heading over to Alabama now, where Mary is trying to remove some old caulk from a bathroom fixture. What's going on? Hi. I recently was trying to remove the caulk from around my bathtub okay. and cannot get it removed. I purchased one of the tools at um, Home Improvement Store, and it is so hard that it won't remove. And I'm worried about scratching the bathtub and the edge if I get a like a razor blade. Have you ever used a paint remover to move, remove layers of paint? Yes. Okay, well, just like a paint remover will strip paint, there's a product called a caulk softener. And the caulk softener gets applied to the caulk, and it sort of reliquifies it, softens it up, and makes it a lot easier for you to scrape it out. So you want to apply the caulk softener first. Once it works and softens the caulk, clean it really, really well. The next thing you want to do is take a bleach and a water solution and wipe that seam down really well because you want to kill any bacteria that's in there. You want to make sure there's no mold spores that are left behind. And the next thing that you want to do is fill the tub with water. We always caulk tubs when they're full of water, and here's why. Because when the caulk dries, the the tub sort of comes back up. When you fill the tub with water, it sinks down. When you put the caulk in, uh, let the caulk dry, then let the water out, the tub comes back up and compresses the caulk, and it's not likely to fall out again or pull apart again at the seam. Okay, So those are the steps you want to follow. Start with the caulk softener, wipe it down with bleach and water, fill the tub with water, caulk it. When the caulk dries, let the tub water out, and you're good to go. Okay. Can you recommend a good caulk to replace it with? Um, I would take a look at the DAP products that include microban. Microban is an additive that stops any mold from growing inside the caulk. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Mary. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third party tested for heavy metals and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. All right, we're heading over to Virginia now, where Greg is dealing with a hard water situation. Tell us what's going on at your money pit. I have a little uh, farmhouse up in Virginia, and very hard water, and was looking at some of the options of how to address that, salt-based, salt-free, reverse osmosis, magnetic, etc., and it's all confusing what's real and what's what's uh, reasonable from a price standpoint. All right. So you're on well water, I presume, correct? Correct. And have you had the water tested for other contaminants? Uh, when we first bought it, it's safe to drink. We haven't tested it in the last several years. but Okay. So the first thing I would do is I would have the water tested so that you know exactly what you're dealing with. 
because if there's some contaminants in there, that's going to change the type of system that you put in. Now, if the water test reveals that your only problem is hard water, then I would try what you're calling the magnetic option. And there's a product called Easy Water, E-A-S-Y-Water.com, that I've had good success with. And what Easy Water does is essentially is installed at the pump, or actually where the water enters the building, and it charges the hard water particles and then gives them a charge so that they don't stick together and they pass through the plumbing system without causing all of the types of issues that are associated with hard water, hard water deposits, iron stains, and that sort of thing. And the reason I'd suggest Easy Water is because if you don't like it, they have a money-back guarantee. And they seem to be good people, and I think the science behind it is solid. There's a lot of uh, folks out there that, uh, once they saw the success that Easy Water was having, copied or tried to copy the technology. But I think if you go to EASYwater.com, try that product See what you think. Uh, I think you'll be good to go. But again, test first because we want to make sure that there's no other contaminants. Excellent. And it's not a permanent process, so the water downstream, this process reverses itself. But from the time it comes into your house till it's out. Yeah, from the time it comes in to the time it leaves, that's when it's your responsibility, right? I agree. Catherine in Wisconsin is on the line with a soundproofing issue. Tell us what's going on. I live in a condo with a basement, and there's an I-beam that runs through the basement. And when I'm in the basement, I can hear my neighbors from two uh, houses down talking in their living room because their voices travel down the I-beam. Wow. So I was Crazy. <laughs> so I was interested in covering the I-beam somehow uh, to reduce the noise, but I wasn't sure what the best way to do that would be. Well, there's a couple things you can do. First of all, can you can you frame in the the I beam so that it's like has something that we can attach a drywall to? Yeah, yeah, I could. I just wasn't sure what to what to do that with, or okay. if that would, so would help. So once you yeah, once you frame it in, there's a product called Quiet Rock, and it's okay. a soundproofing drywall. It's sold at Lowe's. It's pretty expensive. I mean, regular drywall is 5 bucks a sheet. Quiet Rock's about 40 bucks a sheet. So it's pretty expensive, yeah, but, but you don't need a lot. If she can hear them, they can hear her. Yeah, but you don't need a lot. You know, you don't need a lot. So, so if you can frame in that beam and you're sure that's where it's coming from, uh, you may want to think about uh, using Quiet Rocks to actually qu- uh, cover the I-beam, and, and that should do the trick. Oh, really? So I wouldn't need to put uh, additional insulation between... No, insulation, the... is, insulation doesn't really work as a soundproofing okay. material. It's kind okay. of a misnomer to think that insulation works on a wall. It's cheap, but it really doesn't do much. The quiet rock absorbs the vibration of the sound, and I think that's what you need to do. Okay, great. And the quiet rock is, uh, is just spelled like it sounds? Yep, Q-U-I-E-T rock. If you go to uh, Lowe's.com, you can find it right there, and, and um, I, w- I was able to find it. I needed it for a project. I was able to find it right in my local Lowe's. Thank you. Bye. Well, from the cooking to the open flames to the space heater, winter, as it turns out, is the time of year when fire is most likely to break out in your home. Yeah, prevention is, of course, the first priority, but If a blaze does break out in your space, you want to be sure that you have insurance you need to cover your belongings that are damaged or ruined. Now, if you have a home, if you own a home, most homeowners policies will cover this. But if you rent your home, there's a good chance that your belongings are not covered by your landlord's insurance policy, which is why renters need to have their own 
tenant contents insurance policy. Yeah, now the greatest thing about contents insurance is that it covers more than just fire damage. Most policies are going to protect your possessions against 16 different causes. I mean, they range from the usual suspects like fire to theft to the unlikely catastrophes like explosions or damages from an aircraft. I mean, both horrible things to think about, but luckily covered. Yeah, but the best part of renter's insurance is that it can be purchased for as little as 10 bucks a month. It's a very small price to pay for peace of mind. And if you're thinking, eh, my stuff's not worth that much, it is. I mean, when you add up your clothes, your furniture, your phones, your computers, I mean, it doesn't take much to add up to a whole bunch of money. So to spend 100 bucks or so a year on renter's insurance makes a lot of sense. So that's definitely something to look into. I know that every time uh, those in our family have rented places, uh, we have bought that. You can buy it online. You don't need an agent. It's pretty easy to do, and it's definitely worthwhile having. James in Oregon's online has a question about pocket doors. What's going on at your money pit? The wife and I had a, had a house built uh, 20 years ago. She designed the house, and we had it built. And we had this small mistake. We've got two of the uh, sliding pocket doors on one of our bathrooms, and uh, the pocket doors are beginning to act like they want to hang up. I don't know whether it's a lubrication problem or a mechanical malfunction or maybe just parts wearing out. You know, James, I feel like a lot of people love the look of barn doors these days, which is basically like a pocket door for the outside of the wall. <laughs> But barn doors, I feel like, take up a tremendous amount of space because you lose the other section of the wall that once you close the door that, you know, would have been open to do other things. Pocket doors are great, but, I mean, you have to have the space internally in that wall cavity for it. It can't be a load-bearing wall. If it is, you've got to sort of restructure everything. But for the right-style house, a pocket door is beautiful. Yeah, and it sounds like I love the fact that you designed the house for pocket doors because they're a lot harder to put in when it's a retrofit because, as, as you said, Leslie, you've got to double the size of the of the header, essentially, because you have to be able to carry the load for twice the width of the door. Now, in terms of uh, the wear and tear on this, of course, I would try the easy stuff first, right? I mean, I would certainly use like a white lithium grease on the rollers that control this um, because it may just be that uh, it just needs to be lubricated. But after all these years, if it's starting to fail, usually what you can do to repair this is you need to take the trim off from the outside. And there's usually on one side of the pocket door because you don't have a full jam on on the side that's open where it slides into, you have kind of a jam. It's like maybe uh, if it's a two-by-four wall, you might have like an inch and a half and an inch and a half in the space where the door slides in and out. Typically, if you just take out the jam on that operable side of the door, you can completely lift that door out of the wall and replace the hardware. And if you have to do any more wall surgery than that, you know, just plan for that because you can fix it back up again. You can use a slightly wider trim, for example, but you need to look at how it was put in in the first place and figure out how to disassemble it. You know, the most important that pr- part of that project is with many of my projects, Leslie, I call it the sit and stare. <laughs> just stare at the thing for a while, try to figure out how it was put together. And then all of a sudden, an idea pops in my brain. Okay, I know what I'm going to do, you know, and you, and you figure it out. But I would do the easy stuff first before you start trying to disassemble the jam. Hey, if you've got a home improvement question, you can post it at moneypit.com. And if you do, you will qualify for an awesome giveaway we have today from Green Machine. Green Machine is giving away a 655 CFM cordless axial blower. This is an awesome 
cordless blower. You will find dozens of uses for this. I use mine to clean out my garage all the time when all the little twigs and dirt and stuff blow in from the outside. It's got a turbo button feature that delivers wind speeds up to 123 miles per hour. It needs zero gas, so no harmful fumes. It's got a very powerful 62-volt lithium battery, plus a brushless motor, so you'll always have plenty of power and longer runtime. And it's worth 289 bucks. If you want to win it, you've got to reach out with your questions. This is open to listeners that call us at 888-MONEYPIT or those that post the questions to moneypit.com. Clara in Minneapolis, Kansas, is on the line with a dryer venting question. How can we help you? Our dryer is in the basement. It's the beginning part of the problem. So when we hook it up to the vent, the vent goes straight up. How far up does it go? Well, it's probably eight foot. Okay. And then it goes vertical, I mean horizontal, um, probably about 25 feet to the back side of the house, and then that's where the exhaust comes out of the house. Mm -hmm. And we can get part of it cleaned. Is it a metal um, exhaust duct or a plastic exhaust duct? It's a metal. Okay, good. Perfect. We've got a solution for you. It's called a uh, Gardas Lint Eater, and it's a special brush that fits inside the dryer exhaust ducts, and it's on fiberglass rods. And So it's flexible. You, it's flexible. And so what you do is you start with like three foot or six foot of the fiberglass rod. You hook it up to a drill, and the drill is what spins it. You run it into the duct, pull it out a couple of times. Then you add another length of fiberglass and another length of fiberglass rod and so on. And it's the coolest thing because yeah, it's fun. you will be amazed, both, I should say, amazed and disgusted at the <laughs> amount of lint that is going to come out of your vent the first time you do it. I imagine. Just Google it, Lint Eater. Okay. Lint, E-A-T-E-R, and you'll find it. It's a really handy tool to have. Once you have one, you can you know use it a lot. You can do it from the outside. They've got other attachments that help you get in closer to the dryer and so on, but it's a, it's okay. a great product, okay? Yeah, and you know what? Okay. If you don't do it, you really need to be careful because all of that lint is sort of just building up in there, and it could be a fire hazard, so you really do have to get on this. Yeah, that's what we were concerned about. And that's actually their website, too. It's linteater.com, so check it out. Okay, that sounds great. All right, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You know, that's such an important thing to do, Leslie, because there's a lot of fires that happen in homes mm-hmm. because of dirty dryer exhaust ducts. So it's good funny, idea I was to keep it clean. Just noticing, you know, the lint buildup in my driveway again. I was like, ah, oh, it's time. <laughs> it's time, it's time again. to get out there. Yep. Well, if you've got a sticking door, it can go one of two ways. Now, you can either put up with it, letting that little annoyance build up over time, or you can resolve to fix it once and for all. I mean, we're advocates of that second approach, so here's what you need to know. Yeah. First, you should understand why doors stick. Most doors are made of wood, so the best way to understand the sticking door problem is to think of a sponge. When the sponge is dry... It's small, it's compact and hard, but when it gets moist, that sponge swells up to full size and it becomes slightly softer. And that's exactly what happens to your door as it swells and then dries out. Either extreme can cause it to stick. And in fact, I know people where a door sticks in one room in the winter and another room in the summer because it's always moving. Now, to fix that sticking door, your first task is to find exactly where that stick begins. And you can discover this by slowly opening and closing the door. You want to make note of where that door is in relation to the frame and when it starts to stick. If you want a visual guide, you can use a piece of chalk to color the door where it seems to be sticking. And then by opening and closing that door a couple of times, the chalk mark is going to transfer to the exact point where the sticking door touches the jam, and then you can easily wipe that off without a trace. 
Now, there are really two ways to get that fix done. Uh, first, we can call, and by the way, we can call them easy and hard. So first, the easy one is to simply tighten the hinges. Now, if the door opens on the right and sticks towards the top, the most likely culprit may be the opposite hinge on the left. So think of this as a diagonal problem. Upper right, tighten the hinge on the bottom left, and vice versa. If you tighten that hinge or replace that, just one or two of its screws, maybe with the long ones that are long enough to go through the jam into the framing behind, that can actually pull the door over just enough to free up that sticking area. The other option is a little more difficult, and that is that you need to sand down the door where it's sticking. What I would do is um, I would take a piece of chalk, and I would color the top of the door with some, like, white chalk. And then what you can do, or I'm sorry, color the top of the door jam where it sticks with white chalk. And then close the door a bunch of times. What you'll do by going through this chalk exercise, you'll transfer the marks from the jam to the door. You'll know exactly which part of that door panel needs to be sanded down because it'll be covered in the white chalk. I would take the door off of the hinges, and then I would sand carefully that area. I would do it either with a belt sander. I would do it with some rough sander, rough sandpaper wrapped around a block of wood so it's easy to hold and be stiff and straight so you're not like sort of curving the top of that door. You want it to be straight. And I would sand it down. When you think you've got enough, go ahead and put it back on the hinges. You know, just take the hinge pins off. It's really easy to do it this way. Uh, pop it back in, close it, and see if it doesn't stick anymore. If it's just barely not sticking, keep sanding because it could swell again. So remember, you want to give yourself a little bit of space there. Then once you're done, you want to paint it. Make sure you're sealing it in because otherwise it will swell more rapidly, and that should be it. You're good to go. No more sticking doors ever again. Alan wrote in saying, I'm re-siding my house, and I want to use concrete siding. What's the best type? Four by eight sheets or shiplap? Well, first off, concrete siding is an awesome choice because it's not an organic siding. And as a result, it lasts a lot longer. It holds paint longer. Uh, and it really is just great all around. Now, but aside from using sheets of this stuff or shiplap, which is kind of like, uh, like a clapboard kind of a thing, but vertical, uh, you can also use shingles. Concrete siding is available in shingles. Take a look at the Hardy company, the James Hardy company. I have Hardy shingles on a garage that was built, I don't know, 40 years ago. But the house was built like 130 years ago, and the house has cedar shingles. The garage has hardy shingle, and they look identical to each other from the street. So those hardy shingles are really terrific. I bought them pre-painted, and that paint has been on all those years, and I haven't had it touched up a bit ever since. You know, I also have the hardy shingles. Mine look like beautiful shingles. I mean, the color is fantastic. And I, too, think I put it on, what, nine years ago at this point? You could never tell. I mean, they don't wear. There's no chipping paint. I mean, they're lovely. And the house looks fantastic. And I tell you, neighbors are always like, what color is that paint? I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's built in. Well, if you take on New Year's resolutions every year only to see them fizzle quickly away, Leslie has a few suggestions to let your house help you save money, eat better, and get in shape in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Leslie, sounds easier than it probably is, but take it away. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for sure. You know, making upgrades to your money pit can actually help you meet your goals for health, wealth, and happiness in the new year. With a simple changes, you can expand your space, save money, make your home healthier, make it a better living environment, and yes, actually accomplish some of your own New Year's resolutions in the process. 
So here's where you begin. Saving money. That seems to be a very common New Year's resolution that's often accompanied by vows to cut back on those daily expenses. So, I mean, you might not even realize how making a few smart choices around the house can help you hold on to more dollars and cents. For example, average deck addition costs about $11,000, but you'll see a return on investment of 82%. Plus, fixing up a tired bathroom delivers a great ROI. And even smaller projects like replacing the garage door Average cost 3400 can score a 98% ROI. So you're doing home improvements and you're saving money in the process. Now, eating better, that's, I mean, everybody wants to eat better, lose weight. So one chance to increase your, you know, likelihood to stick to this new healthier eating, change your kitchen up, make it look better, make it more user-friendly, give it a facelift, whatever it is, make it more inviting to be in that kitchen. So you'll want to make more choices and better choices by spending time in there. You don't have to do a lot. You can paint things. You can freshen up the cabinets. I mean, just changing the hardware, whatever it is, just, you know, fall in love again with that kitchen space. Now, if your goal is to get in shape, I mean, lack of maintenance in your home, you know, not keeping your home in shape is the number one cause of repairs in houses. So take a little time, care for the house. Small maintenance projects can save a lot of dollars later. Look at what you need to do every month. Do those projects in a timely fashion. You're going to find your house stays in good shape. You're going to stay in good shape. You're just going to be in a better mental state of mind, knowing that your house is well and you are well. And remember, Happy New Year, guys. I carried a lot of bags of concrete this past weekend to do my basement floor and you see what i'm in much better shape as a result i'm also a lot sore (laughs) but i'm in better shape (laughs) i mean my goodness that is some project too tom holy moly this is the money pit home improvement show coming up next time on the program we're going to talk about natural stone surfaces they are really popular for kitchen and bathroom counters but to keep them looking as great as they did when the day they were installed they take a lot of work we'll share some tips on the very next edition of the money pit i'm tom kreitler And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone.